All right, well, this morning has been a great uh, experience with the Lord already prior to uh, service starting. This is just enhancing it. Our worship today is just enhancing that. I want to share something the Lord spoke this morning, kind of a struggle I was having uh, prior to church, and uh, let you in on a little, little something that the Lord's trying to show us right now. I, I have been feeling a little bit overwhelmed, and to this morning it kind of all came to a head. Life and I were talking about it prior to us coming this direction today. And it's that, uh, I guess, on the heels of a week of seeing our missionaries in, in Tennessee, uh, wondering about our church in Ruston and our, our meeting there this evening, talking to our missionaries in Bulgaria about our future ministry in Romania because they worked, our, our, most of y'all know the Randolphs who came from here, were in Bulgaria for uh, about five years and working with the Roma gypsies. Uh, in Bulgaria, which is the same population that we're going to be working with in Romania, then that door just opened up, so had talked to them this week, and so I've just had missions and church planting and all these things on my mind this week, and I've just been feeling a little bit, was this morning feeling a little bit overwhelmed, because I'm thinking like in Ruston, I've been there for a year, uh, a little over a year, and we've been investing in a small group there, trying to work through all of our the hindrances of our past ways of thinking about church and trying to just embrace God and learn how to have a relationship with him and just walk with Jesus and and let community be formed around that, which is what we've spent all of our time trying to do here at the Gathering Place. It's been a holy experiment for us, but just the frustration of thinking, okay, I've been there a year, a little over a year, and we're having our second service, second Sunday service today, this afternoon, and just how do, you know, how do I maintain all of that? I've been meeting with 26 people here, 29 people, sorry, here uh, in our church who have made a commitment to press into their commitment to Christ, to walk in the things that they already know intellectually and have known about what does it mean to walk with God. And we've been working on that. Well, we've been together for, you know, some of us have, that are in the 29 have been together for for. What, 11 years, some of us more than that, 18 years. And so we're trying to push into that and, and make it practical. And so I'm just thinking 18 years in one location, a year in another location, how, God, how do, we, how do we get this into the lives of people? And it was so sweet this morning that I, I got before the Lord and I wrote in my journal, and I want to just read to you what I wrote this morning, what, what the Lord said. Because I know you guys are probably feeling the same sense of, urgency but also I don't know what you feel but anyway you're probably feeling some of this as well but I just wrote this thinking about how to help establish gathering place churches in a way that will last without me you know when when we one of the reasons why I believe the Lord what the Lord had on my mind when I started thinking about the 20 people and offering this to whoever would would come in and say yes I'm ready to press in and build my own stories. That's what I was thinking, is that we need more people with their own stories of what does it look like to walk with Christ, abide in him, and, and see him manifest himself, reveal himself through his activity, right? So, and, and to really ask questions and let him guide and lead and do the hard stuff. And, and so I'm thinking, if I can get 20 people in the church, well, I'm thinking the Lord was saying, if you can get 20 people in the church, then 
you, you can walk away and do what you need to do, and everything's going to be okay. I know we have elders that are taking care of all that, but I, honestly, I don't trust anybody but myself. It's just the way I am. It's a, it's a flaw. And I recognize that, and the Lord also recognizes that. And so here's what he said this morning. Uh, first of all, in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That God is our dwelling place, and that he has been here from generation to generation. He was there in the beginning, and he's going to be here in the end, and it has nothing to do with me. You know, the, the, the secret to what we're experiencing with God is God. It's not how we do church. It's not making sure that we, we get everything just right in some form that will work for people. It's just giving Jesus to people, which immediately encouraged me. I said, yeah, that's right. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to just break it all down to a, the simplest element of just man and God walking, in, walking with each other and then letting the fruit of that happen in our, in our church, in this body. So, man, that was encouraging. But then I, the very next reading this morning, and this is just, in, this is just my, my normal Bible readings through, uh, you know, guided, just reading through the Bible in a year, okay? This was in Hebrews chapter 7 this morning, scheduled for today. It said, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. All right, so just put that in place. There have been many, right, ministers who have been true to the, to the Lord, have done what they did, and then they're gone, right? I have a lot of ministers in my life uh, that I wish I could sit under their teaching right now, but they're gone. Thank God for their books. But the truth is, he goes on to say, which means I'm going to be gone, okay? I'm going to be gone. And this, I know you guys, it's not a deal to you. It's a deal to me. Okay? I know you, you're not worried about this. I'm worried about this. <laughs> it's my weakness. But he says, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. For it was indeed fitting that we should, that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And so he just, just comforted me again by saying, look, the, the high priest, these people's priest is not you. It is Jesus. I, Jesus is the one that got me to where I am right now. He's the one that brought us to where we are right now. And he's going to be the one that continues to bring you to wherever you're going to go with him. However deep into your relationship with God you want to go, it's going to be you and him. And if you're dependent upon me, then I have, I have failed at turning you in the right in the direction that I that my, my goal is to turn you, and that's to him and him alone. And that's what we believe here. It's what we teach here. It's what we, is in our philosophy, but I just got to get it in my own brain. How are you going to get it in your brain if I don't? Uh, verse 25 also said, consequently, he is, a, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him or draw near to God through him since he always makes intercessions for them. So again, if we just pressing, keep pressing into Christ, he is more than able to save us to the uttermost, meaning he can continue the growth that we're experiencing personally. That never ends. And then Mark chapter 10, verse 52, Jesus heals the man, the blind Bartimaeus, and he says this. All of this fit, by the way. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. 
are well. And immediately he recovered his sight, but that wasn't the end. It says, and followed him on the way. If we can just lead people into an authentic relationship with Christ, which is our goal, We've been studying this in the book of Acts. It's true. Every time someone comes to Christ and receives the Holy Spirit, every time someone puts their faith in, in Christ and receives the Holy Spirit, you don't have to tell them that, now, don't forget, you got, we got church on Sunday. Don't forget, you know, you got, we got life group during the week. Man, they were all up in each other's houses, and it's probably more of, would y'all please get out so we can go to bed? You know, it's more like that than it was, y'all come. It was, it was some of this, maybe. They were just blown away and so excited because they were pursuing Christ. They weren't pursuing a church or a relationship. Or, uh, with, they weren't pursuing a relationship with people, but that, that was the result of them pursuing Christ. And so, man, I was just encouraged because you know what? What God has called us to do will work without me. What God has called us to be as a church will happen without me. Now, I know, again, that's no revelation to the rest of you guys, but that was a great revelation to me. And, and, as, and maybe some of you are still in some way dependent upon what the Lord is doing through me and in me. And, and I apologize for that because, really, I think in a lot of ways I'm discovering as we go through the book of Acts and as I'm reading this book, Letters to the Church, I'm discovering that I'm a lot of the reason why some of you are not pursuing and pushing forward, and I have not unleashed you to be who you need to be in Christ. And so I apologize. Buckle your seatbelts, all right, because I'm fixing to unleash you. It's time. We can't stay where we are and continue to walk in what God has planned for this community and for the many communities that he's given us access to around the world. We have to move forward, okay? And when I say we, I mean you. You have to move forward. It's time. Okay, I'm going forward with the Lord wherever he leads me to go. And, and I'm, I'm following his will and working as a pastor of vision and, and uh, preaching and teaching for this church. And I will continue to do that wherever I am. But we need to, to find ourselves again in the story today. Now, last week, I appreciate what Will spoke out of Acts chapter 18. We're going to go back there today. And I'm going to dwell on a little bit of something that, that Will didn't, didn't feel led by the Spirit to dwell on last week. He stayed in the first portion of this passage, and I want to pick up, and I think it's by God's design, because i got so much I want to say uh, and need to say about what God is doing in the life of our church. Let me remind you, church, y'all still with me? Okay, let me remind you that this study is not a random study for us. Okay, none of them ever are. It might seem random to you, but it never is to me. I, I take very seriously the call of God to, to preach and teach this church, this body. And these words that we are speaking today are words specifically for now and specifically for us. It, this is God's timing, and he's brought us to this place. And everything is just, all the little pieces are just coming together in a way that there's no doubt. This is the culmination of years of God's work in my life and in the life of this body wherever you came into this body, this has always been God is putting together all these pieces because he has a work for us to do and because he wants us to know him in this incredible way as the savior of the world and, the, and as the leader of his church. He wants us to know him in that way. And so t uh, last week, 
In Acts chapter 18, Paul found the community with Aquila and Priscilla, which is where Will spent most of his time last week. What a great story of God providing community for some wayward wanderers, right? And he brought them into community with each other. And not only were they in community because they had the same beliefs, but they were in community because they had the same trade. And, and God provided some, what's the, how miraculous is that? That God provided for Paul, someone who knew Christ personally, a couple who knew Christ personally were also able to help him and encourage him in his work. Paul was in a situation where he was working to not be a burden to the church at Corinth. Uh, I don't know all the reasons why that happened, but here's what I know about Paul. Paul was going to do anything he needed to do to share the gospel. Paul was not going to allow the gospel to be hindered or to be a burden whenever he was dependent totally upon God to provide his needs. And so here's this, this exodus of Christians uh, or of Jews into Corinth. And the church had their hands full, surely, with all the people they needed to take care of. And Paul immediately goes to what he, he can do, and he works, and he provides a means uh, for his own living uh, so he wouldn't be a burden on the church there. And that was a great, Will made a great point about the significance, not only of us taking care of our own needs, but listen, of every person in the church being called to do what God's led you to do within the body. Carry your own weight. It's not just Paul who carries his weight. Everybody is doing their, their job within the body, taking care of each other. It's been happening that way since the beginning of the book of Acts. Since the Holy Spirit came, this has been what happens, is the Holy Spirit empowers a people, a believers, and brings them together in community to accomplish his tasks. And so the pastor, being a pastor in this church, you're going to hear me say this over and over again over the next few weeks, and particularly as we uh, work toward the beginning of next year and look at life groups in light of what the scripture says the church is supposed to be. The functions of the church that we are not being faithful to, some, most of which we are, and we certainly are asking ourselves, what does it look like to live in Christian community? But there are a lot of things that we cannot do if our minds don't have a major shift. And that major shift happens in our text today. So we're going to touch on that, but many of you life group leaders and those of you who are not yet life group leaders, who are, who are waiting for a group to outgrow itself, uh, to, to fulfill the call that God's already put on your life to pastor a group of people, you're going to be challenged over the next few weeks and months to become the pastor of your small group, to literally be, fulfill the role of pastor and to do what's necessary to prepare yourself for that. And we're going to help you to do that. We have, we have people in our church, we have three PhDs in this church from the seminary, and we have master's degrees in this church and in our other sister church, and we have a pastor with 20-some-odd years of practice in churches with ministry experience. We have gobs of people who can train our small group leaders to be pastors without you ever having to quit a job and go to a seminary. And I believe in many ways be more prepared to pastor in the way that the Bible teaches us to pastor even than I, I was in seminary. God has a plan for us, and I want you to start seeing yourselves. Those of you that have been thinking about pastoring or thinking about being a life group leader, and you haven't yet had an opportunity to fulfill that call, you're about to have that opportunity. You're going to be unleashed over the next few months to pastor in this, in, within the context of the gathering place. And so I want you to receive that challenge today. 
And so I'm going to take a, a, a moment to expand on that thought today. My hope is that as we continue to evaluate the details of what's going on in the church in Corinth, that uh, we also see that the same things are going on in the church at the, called the gathering place in Alexandria. That we'll see the same things going on. And I, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will reveal what His will is for each of us. All right, so last week, Paul was in the synagogue, the Bible says, each Sabbath. And he was reasoning with Jews, both Jews and Greeks, within the context of the synagogue, which was a pattern of the Holy Spirit. You'll remember, as we've been through the book of Acts, every place that they've gone since they began to multiply the community, every place they've gone, they've gone to the the synagogue each Sabbath to reason with Jews and Greeks. But something new happens in Corinth, and I want to focus on that. Verses 6 through 8, let's start there. Chapter 18, Acts 18, verses 6 through 8. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many Christians, uh, many of the Corinthians rather, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So something new is going on in Corinth. It's, this time it's not opposition from the Jews alone. It's not, and that's happened before. Uh, it's not uh, going to the Gentiles. That's happened every place that they've been. Uh, but, it, but in this case, the difference was they were leaving the synagogue, dusting off their feet, which was symbolic of saying, uh, your blood is on your own hands. We're out of here that we are no longer coming to the synagogue to try and spread the gospel. We are moving outside the synagogue, and they go to a house. And so there's some things there that fit with what the Lord's been teaching us. In letters to the church, which I recommend to all of you to read, and I recommend that you recommend it to anybody that's interested in, uh, in the near future, once we unfold, for, unfold some new truths, uh, some old truths and some new applications for this church, that you recommend this to people who want to understand what's the gathering place about. This is what we're about. Now, our model might not be exactly like his model, and he, he gives his model in the book carefully and asks us not to duplicate it. But the truths of what he's doing in this book are so similar to our own experience. Most of y'all know Francis Chan was a megachurch pastor, who was known by, is known by people all around the world, and he has traveled the world and spoken all over the world, and he is, uh, is one of the models that millennials follow, particularly in, in, uh, in, in how to do church, has been. And he caught himself in the middle of a megachurch with an empty feeling inside, and again, he began to pursue with his elders, what do we need to do? What's going on? What is God challenging us to do? And he started seeing that, that there were things that the Bible said that the church should be, that they were not. He says, you know, the Bible says they will know you, for instance, by your love. And yet I don't see our people in love with one another. I don't see them loving each other. They, they were, I see the opposite, that we come in and we go out and there's no connection and the connections are weak and they're based on our, what we can get out of people and it doesn't seem biblical. And, and, and so that, that seems different and that people would sell their possessions and give to each other and take care of one another. And we're having to beg people to even make any kind of a gift to the church, to the, to the work of God. 
And, and he says people are gathering every Sunday and they're applauding whenever we talk about missions that we're doing around the world, but nobody's getting outside and doing anything. They're, they're just giving their money if they do that, and they're, they're applauding the work that, that they, they have joined a club that supports this ministry around the world and people are not doing the ministry. That is not the book that we've been studying, the book of Acts. That is not what's going on with the church in the Bible. So he started struggling with that. And I've, you, you know, I've been to the much smaller place, but been to, the, to, the, uh, to work for the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville. I went to the Mecca of our denomination and found myself in the same place wondering there's something wrong. It's something that I'm reading in the Bible and it's not fitting all the things that I've been doing in church all of my life. And, I'm, and I got fed up with that and I tried to make it work, make the new things happen within the context of the old location and it couldn't happen. And so it's not by accident that God has brought this book into my life and into our church at this moment in the history of our church while we're studying what it looks like to be Christian community. Y'all with me? And now we're talking about multiplying our community. We need to know who we are and what we're about before we begin to multiply. We got to get some things down in this church. And one of those things is we are we need to recognize that we're still sitting here. Many of us are still sitting here week after week waiting on a message from somebody who studied for us instead of going home in our own quiet times and spending time digging into the word for ourselves and 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 getting the meat of that scripture and diving in when we don't understand. There's so many tools out there that we have access to. We're waiting on somebody else to give us to spoon feed us God's word. So many of us are sitting here while Talitha and I are, are trying to spread the gospel around the world, and you know we're, we're, we're trying to, and our elders are supporting us. We're pushing that out, but we're sitting here instead of go, <clears throat> going into our workplace, as we've been challenged to do over and over again, and finding wanderers and lost people who need a, a touch from God, and, and, and becoming the church that reaches out, doing ministry, not just applauding the fact that we have churches around the world. We're quick to tell people that we have our little church, I'm quick to tell people, our little church has ministry around the world. But we need to be quick to tell people locally that, that there's a God that loves them, that, that Jesus died for them, and he wants to save them. We need to begin to work those relationships and get out of our comfort zone and just bless people until God opens up a door for us to share the gospel. But we're sitting back, we're sitting back, and the same scenario that happened for, for him has happened for us on a much smaller scale. We, thankfully, we don't have the structure that he had. Thankfully, we have already bought, bought into, God has already given us a philosophy that allows us to work within the framework of this church to do what's happening in Corinth. And that is to be able to step out of the institutional church in this community and step into churches and homes. And what do we mean by churches and homes? It doesn't... This is not a home. That's right, but our church needs to be happening in the homes. There's some dynamics that go on in this story that I, I know the Lord has brought to us for this moment. First of all, when the commands of God are not being accomplished in a church building, then the true church, in this case, finds its place where worshipers are present. When the true church or the commands of God are not being accomplished in the church building, the true church is going to find its place where worshipers are gathered. Now, we have experienced that. 
Many of you came into this, into this church body. You came through a life group. You came through a relationship with somebody. They invited you in to share meals with, with people in this church and to do life with some people. Uh, I'm, I'm doing new member orientation right now with five people. All five of those people are already in small groups. Almost every time when, we, when I do new member orientation, whoever comes into our church has already connected with people. They, they came here because they were connected with people in small groups. And so that, that can be the case. And, and, and we talk about reaching this town. How do we reach this town? How, we, don't have to take, we don't have to ask people to leave their church, per se. We don't have to ask folks to get out of their existing uh, the building where they worship on Sundays. We can invite people into our homes. And what happens in this story is they, when, when, when the, the commands of God were not happening in the, the places, the houses, where the, the house, synagogue, where they were worshiping, they were able to step across the street into the house of a worshiper. I believe God's calling us to be that. I believe our houses need to be houses of worship. I think our life groups, our host homes need to be places of worship. We've been struggling with this in Ruston because we, we started backwards there, or really forwards, I guess. This is backwards, but we started there with a home. And right now we're having a worship experience on Sunday evenings, and our hope is that that will allow people to be able to go to their church on Sunday morning and then to come out of there and, and ask the question without any fear, ask the question, is what we're doing in our church building on Sundays is what we're doing, biblical church. Are we following the commands of Christ? And it gives them the freedom to step out and, and into a, a location where our whole goal is going to be to follow the commands of Christ. To follow the descriptions of what the Bible says church is. And it's in a small setting. And so that's, that's one of the major goals. That's one of the things that happens in this, in this story is they step out of a place that was full of religion but empty, void of gospel and they stepped into a house of a worshiper so part of seeing the church differently i think for us is seeing the church as worshipers not just as people gathered in a building it's so hard for us and sometimes i feel like even when we started this church our elders we talked about should we even have a corporate experience a place time when we come together on sundays because here's where most of our minds goes we think this is the church and as long as i show up here i'm a part of the church that is not true. Showing up here on a Sunday morning does not make you a part of the church. The church is, is the people who have been transformed by the, by the Holy Spirit, by the, by the blood of Christ, redeemed by the blood of Christ, received the Holy Spirit, and are being radically transformed and brought into community with one another. And you can't break that up. What we've been studying in the book of Acts doesn't happen on a Sunday morning in a building. Matter of fact, it can't even happen in the building in this town called Corinth. It's not enough, and we got to quit seeing it that way. If you're just showing up here on Sunday mornings, okay, you're fixing to get challenged, all right? So put your seatbelt on. We're going outside of the box. It's not enough. We're not trying to invite people to come into our building and feel like they've been to church, all right? So part of seeing the church differently is seeing the church as worshipers, as people who are in love with God. Now, this, this church is full of that, and I'm thankful that we have people in this body that are in love with God. Your love for God is increasing. Your, your pursuit of God is strong. 
And you're, you're coming to know God by experience through obedience. And it's beautiful to see that happen. That's what makes worshipers of God. And we need to provide an opportunity and a place where people can come and be engaged with the church in community. And I think that that happens in this story. It happens at the house of Tidious Justice. In, in our case, it happens in our life groups. That's where church happens in its best, at its best. I think another way we need to see church differently is in this case, when another option was available, religious seekers found the church. They found a Christian community. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. The ruler of the synagogue. All right? The guy in charge. The ruler of the synagogue was obviously touched by the gospel. But he didn't find the freedom to respond to the gospel in the context of the synagogue. All right, let's, let's unpack that for a second. Here's the ruler of the synagogue who is there whenever Paul begins to preach the gospel, the good news of Christ. He's telling the story of Jesus. His, his heart is touched. And, and I can imagine that within him, his heart swells up like it does with us. And he wants to put his faith in Christ, and he's believing in Christ, and he wants to respond to the, to the message of Christ, but he knows this is not a safe place for me to do that. Christ and Christ alone is not going to happen in the synagogue. It's not going to happen among the religious rulers who are watching to see how I respond to this message. It's not going to happen in, in the context of my job and the people that are over me. It's not going to happen for me to be able to just fall in love with Jesus and, and walk in relationship with him and with other believers. That's not going to happen in this context. And so when a church starts in a house, he has the freedom to step outside of the synagogue and go into a house and find Jesus. All right, we talk about this all the time, about wanderers that are out there. It's our name for people that are looking for Jesus, and they can't find him in the context of the Christian community where they are. They can't just walk with Jesus and it be enough. They can't just be themselves and belong to God and that be enough. They have to do all the whole list of everything else that that particular congregation or that particular church has for them to do. And Crispus, the leader of that group, walks in and finds Christ. Man, I, the ruler of the synagogue believes in Jesus. I think we see the same dynamic in Ephesus. The same thing happens, that this, this idea of the, the, the not being able to find God in the church, and so they go to another place. Look at it in, in Acts chapter 19. We'll be back here at some point. Uh, Acts chapter 19, but I want to go and read ahead and show you this pattern. It becomes a pattern. Paul sees something that the Holy Spirit's doing here. It says he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them, took his disciples with him, and reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. The hall of Tyrannus was just a lecture hall that a particular man had. They went to the hall of Tyrannus. They left again. They left the synagogue in Ephesus, and they go to the hall of Tyrannus, and they continued there for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All right, we have put way too much focus 
on this building. We have put way too much focus on buildings, period. The church is not limited to, as a matter of fact, I think it's limited by, you correct me if I'm wrong, privately. I think it's, it's not limited to, and it's certainly not, lim- if anything, it's limited by the buildings that we have in this town. Most of them now empty, used to be full, but still just as empty, even when there were people lining the pews every day, every Sunday. The church is still not the church. We're still not operating according to the commands of Christ and according to the scriptures in the way that the church is described to be. We're not walking in the way that these believers in Acts were walking. We're not, we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives. We're not surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And so the same thing happens here. So I want to look at this. I want to look at the strength of a house church. And I want us to consider, begin to consider and pray about Starting more house churches in this town and continuing to do what we do corporately until God tells us not to, but that we come together as churches, multiple churches all over this community, and don't exclude yourself as being one of those pastors. You probably should be. But pastoring a small church in a home in this town with another couple, getting a host home and and, and a pastor and and letting God begin to to touch the lives of, of wanderers who are coming out, will be coming out of the dead institution where they go Sunday after Sunday. Look, it's not an indictment on everybody else's church and not ours. Y'all with me? This is an indictment on us. Okay, so I'm sharing this with all the pastors in this town. I see it. I hope they do too. But there are wanderers in everybody's church and they need to find a place. Look at it again in verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Here's your results. Here's the strength of a house church. It was a place where wanderers were free to respond. It was a place where people could come out of the the existing church where they were limited, and they could come into a place and they were free to respond with just a raw response to the gospel. Y'all with me? Now, what a beautiful thing that this church can be, that your home can be, a place where people can come out of the institutional church where they're not finding God and, and join a group of people who are passionately pursuing Christ and walking according to what the Scripture describes as Christian community. Also, that passage says that many in the city believed and were baptized. It wasn't just Christmas. But I, you know, I think about, again, I think about it like our, our missionaries in, in Uganda. When a few of the elders responded in one village, uh, then all of a sudden it made it all right for everybody else. Man, all of a sudden we've got people all over this Corinthian village, that are this city, that are this city, very large city, this port city, this famous city. They're all coming from uh, into these house churches. So you know the next thing that happened was there's a lot of house churches that are being formed, because they're not doing this in the synagogue. So what starts now at the house of Titius Justice now automatically is beginning to expand into other places. And Paul is concerned about all of what's going on, and he has to pray and ask the Lord, what do we do with this growth that's going on? Because many of the Corinthians were believing and coming together. And they were baptized, which means they were saying, yes, I'm, I'm joining this group which has been true all the way through the book of Acts. We're coming to be a part 
of this way of thinking. And we want to be disciples of this way of thinking. So in verse, verses 9 through 11, Paul gets a vision from the Lord. Paul needs a word from God of what to do. And here's what he says. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. <laughs> so for 18 months, house churches were forming throughout Corinth. There were many in the city, according to what the, the Lord spoke to Paul, there were many in the city who were the Lord's people. The church at Corinth was thriving, even though they were not able to have gospel meetings in the synagogue. They were opposed by the religious leaders for the entire time, but God promised Paul that nobody would harm them or attack them. God gave him favor, even with the government of the city. When the Jews began to oppose them, which you knew the Jews were going to do, because they do it in every town that Paul goes into, Look at what happens in verses 12 to 13. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews were, uh, made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Now, what do they mean? Well, a lot of things, I'm sure, but Paul was not doing anything contrary to the law of God, but he was doing it contrary to the law of the Jews. And the Jews were able to had the freedom in Corinth to be able to operate within their system of laws. And so they're saying, they're breaking our law. How are they breaking the law? They're not coming to the synagogue is one way. They're not coming to the synagogue and, and, and allowing the rulers to, to be in control. They are meeting in houses and all over the town, and they're causing chaos. And they hated it. The Jews hated that. They were against the law of the Pharisees for sure because they were teaching people to worship in the spirit instead of teaching them that worship happens in the synagogue. Y'all with me? Listen to what Matthew Henry says. Look at this quote. When people are taught to worship God in Christ and to worship him in the spirit, they are ready to quarrel as if they were taught to worship him contrary to the law, whereas this is indeed perfective of the law. Matthew Henry is saying, look, you can have opposition by religious folks who are trying to protect their religious practices and to hold on to people for personal gain and personal reasons. You're going to have opposition from them to just people seeking the Lord and worshiping God in spirit. There's going to be a lot of opposition. I feel that. I feel that. When I started thinking about house churches, where do you think my mind went? First, thing, first place my mind went was, what am I going to do for a living? Right? Okay, so let's just open that up, be honest about it. What am I going to do for a living? Where's, where's my income going to come from if everybody's meeting in house churches? And so I just said to the Lord, God, I'm, I'm willing to do that, and I'm ready to do that. And you, you know my job has always been available to you. I, I mean, my, my money is always available to you, and I'm ready for another job. You just show me what you want me to do. Well, God has begun to show me what he wants me to do, and I'll unfold that as we go forward. But basically, it's the ministry of Paul. That I'm supposed to be planting and encouraging churches. That's what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. So it's going to be here. It's going to be somewhere else. It's going to be all over the world as God continues to plant churches through the gathering place. But I don't have to worry. You know, I had to lay that before the Lord. They had to as well. 
No wonder the Jewish leaders were having problems with that because all of their people now are beginning to meet in house churches around Corinth. Lives are being changed, and they, they don't go. They have dusted the, they have wiped the dust off their feet from the synagogue, and they're not back in the synagogue worshiping God. Not in this town. God's promise to Paul, also by the way, is fulfilled. God said, "You, no one will harm you." He says, "Look, look at what happens as uh, as Gallio and the pro the pro council and his uh, team of." of judges make a decision about what to do. It's full, God's, law, God's promise is fulfilled. As Paul moves forward, as he continues to move forward and obeys God, gets outside of the walls of the, of the building and begins to work with these house churches. Look at what happens. Verse 14 to 17. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, it's like Paul was about to defend himself and God said, hold on a second. I got this. All right, this is a, this is a Roman proconsul who's standing on the behalf of Paul. This is what he says. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have a reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names, now, he's, you know, he doesn't know to respect Jesus and, and uh, you know, and, and the gospel here. But he says, words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be the judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. Megalio Megalio, uh, paid no attention to any of this. All right, so God keeps his promise. They're not going to harm you, Paul. You just keep doing what I'm telling you to do. I know it feels awkward for you to step out of the synagogue Shake the dust off your feet and start a house in a church and just let it continue to grow organically. But that's what happened in Jerusalem. And that's what's happened all the way until they started spreading the church of God in every town and village where they went. Churches were happening in houses. The people were committing themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and the prayer and and to fellowship. That's what the Bible says we're supposed to be doing. And that was different than what they were doing in the synagogue. And so the Jews are mad, man. They're upset about it, but they can't do anything about it. I love that. Can't touch Paul. And so what do they do? They're not giving up. They're still mad. They've got to take their anger out on someone. So, you know, the Jews can't harm Paul, and they're too fearful of believing Jews to do anything themselves. And so they went to the governor of Corinth to get him to take action. And God apparently worked through the governor, accomplishing his will, though no one uh, through, no, uh, through one who didn't belong to them. And look what happens. Listen, uh, listen the Lord, th- they're going to they're gonna beat somebody before the day's up. Okay? Somebody's fixing to take the wrath. And I want to make a point about this before we're done. But w- for, for Gallio, house churches were not a threat to him. Y'all aren't building another temple in the town? Good. We don't have, to, we don't have another big system we have to have to take care of? Good. We don't have any laws to take care of another, another way of believing. As long as you're believing according, your God is God of the Jews, and your beliefs are consistent with the law of the Jews, then you're good. And it was more consistent than the Jewish leaders' practice of that. But someone's about to get a beating. House churches are not threatening to the religion of our town, but uh, or to religion... To, to the religion or the beliefs of Christians in this town, but house churches 
are going to possibly be threatening to the religion of our town. So Sosthenes takes the beating. They couldn't beat one that wasn't their own, but they could beat the new ruler of the synagogue who took Crispus's place when he became a believer and joined the house church. This house church movement had been gaining momentum for 18 months, and somebody deserves a beating. And so they look in the church, in the synagogue, and they beat Sosthenes, the, rule, the new ruler of the synagogue, who took Crispus's place. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited about us starting more gathering place churches is because I've seen countless numbers of young men, some of which are now in our church today, who have gone to, to Louisiana College, gotten their degrees in ministry and missions, and they, they go to seminary, and they leave the seminary, they go to a church, to a little bitty old church, because they keep no big church is going to hire them, because they're fresh out of seminary, and they're wet behind the ears. And they go into this little church, and the church eats them alive because they're passionate about Christ, but they've got to toe the line and, and be what they want them to be. And then they beat them up, and they spit them out. Just a few weeks ago, a good friend of mine stood before a congregation who thankfully voted on his behalf. A man who loves the Lord, pursues God as a pastor, a godly pastor, is challenging the status quo in an existing set of rulers that have been there for years and years and years. And those rulers have left the church, and he's still there. And I'm anxious to see what the Lord's going to do in that body. But it happens all the time. It happens because we don't step outside of the synagogue. It's because we, we, it's a threat when you go inside somebody's church building and you try to, to preach just Jesus. It's a threat in central Louisiana. It's crazy that we have this understanding of supposedly a biblical truth and yet we don't walk in it and we can't even preach it in our churches without getting kicked out. Somebody had to pay the price. And I want to encourage you in this way. You start a church in your home, which I'm praying that many of you will, by the call of God only, by his will and his command in your life, that you'll start a church in your home and you'll begin to see people come to the Lord and y'all focus on the Lord and we'll help you and encourage you, equip you, train you, teach you, give you everything you need to feel equipped and unleashed to do that, that you'll start something in your home and God will begin to build it up and you you can bank on it. Somebody in somebody's church is going to be upset with you. We already have a reputation around this town. We have many reputations, by the way, some of which I don't even know about, but many of which I discover as I go along. And just, oh, that's a new one. Didn't know about that. Nobody knows who we are except the people that are here and have stayed with us and have walked with us. And and people are not going to like it. So get ready for that. Suffering will come when when you just walk by what the Lord tells you to do. Uh, so, the beating goes to Sosthenes. But let me just tell you this about old Sosthenes. You know, the suffering that he had to face as a result of being in the church and staying with the institution for that time, the beating that he took got him in with Jesus. <laughs> he needed to take a beating. Right? And some of us need to take a beating to get out of our old way of thinking. But Sosthenes becomes a, a compadre 
of, of Paul, a co-worker. Look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, called, this is in his, his uh, salutation, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. Okay, so he's writing a church in Corinth. This is the same Sosthenes. Besides that, that's a weird name, right? To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So Sosthenes becomes a believer. He begins to see the reality of what's going on in the church. When the church gets mad and they're trying to protect something that's not biblical, that's not, that has nothing to do with God, the reality of what that church is about comes out. And Sosthenes finds his way into somebody's house church and becomes a great leader. And by the way, great leaders are built. We're going to see more of that next week. Great leaders are built in house churches. It happens. Now, this study in the book of Acts has revealed how the Holy Spirit's been redefining the church of, of the day of the apostles. And we have looked at it. The religion of their day was sick and in desperate need of refining. But as we've been looking at it, we also see a consistent pattern of churches here. They're in desperate need of redefining. The church is sick here, in desperate need of redefining. This church is, is showing some symptoms of sickness, and we need to, to get a spiritual antibiotic into this body. And I believe for us, the Lord has given us a plan, and the plan is that we need to start taking more seriously our role in the role of life groups or house churches. And so I'm challenging you to begin to pray about that. We've also seen a, a consistent pattern of churches meeting in homes. Uh, when the gospel is not received, we're going to see that pattern in the scripture. And we're seeing it right now across the United States. There's a house church movement. And we need to ask the Lord, what, do we, what does he want that to look like in this place? But we definitely need to start focusing more on being biblical church. And I can just, I'm going to tell you straight up, it's not going to happen here on Sundays. We cannot be the church the way the Bible describes the church. We cannot be the Christian community that we've been reading about on Sunday mornings. And so pray about that. Get that out of your mind. Start asking the Lord. Every one of you are significant to this body. Every one of you are significant to this body. God's called you into the gathering place because he has something for you to do within the context of body. You are as important to your life group as you are to, as your arm is to your body. We've got to find those positions, those, get, the, get the call from God and use our gifts within the context of body and in a whole, at a whole nother level. And when I say a whole nother level, I mean like if it's on this continuum from here to here, we're here in my mind. There's a lot that needs to happen with us as individuals. We need to start praying and seeking the Lord about how, what it means to be Christian, what it means to be a, a member of the body of Christ. And, and we've been reading about it and studying about it, and we've been going, oh, that's great. We agree, but we're not adjusting to it. And it's obvious. And we've got to start changing and get on the other end of the continuum and start being all the things that God tells us to be as a church. So we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts. We're going to continue finding out what does that look like. And as we prepare for a new year and start thinking about what this church is going to look like in the next year, 
Get, get ready because it's going to involve you in a much more significant way. All excuses aside, it's time for us to dig in and be the church that God's called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we love the story of communities being transformed by believers. And Lord, in so many different ways, even in this way, we, we love what we see, God, and even though it's challenging for us, we are ready for you to show us what does it look like for us to come out into smaller communities and be all the church needs to be. Father, it's, it's a big challenge for us. It's, it's, it's challenging in a way that I know that Satan will try to talk many into just going to another place where they can sit and hear someone preach and not invest themselves and God, I just pray against that. I pray for a holy boldness to come over our church, Lord, that your spirit would inspire us and give us passion, God, to walk with you as biblical community. We don't know what we're going to do, but we are submissive to you, God. We are surrendering ourselves to you. And we ask you, God, to build your church here. Build it in homes all over this community. Father, build your church in the places where you've called us to go, the countries and other states, Lord, and other cities where we are, where you've called us to be, God. We don't know what to do there either, and we just want you to help us to know what will touch lives and change hearts and bring community together, biblical community, so that people will know us by our love, so people will see you in the way we serve and bless them, and that people will hear the gospel message coming out of everyone's mouth. And see the gospel effect in everyone's life. We need you. We need you to do that in us. Father, I release that to you. I'm not, I don't have the skills. I don't even know how long you're going to have me in this place. God, I don't have the skills or the tools necessary. I release this church to you. And Father, I ask you to just rip us apart. Cut us up, Father, and then, and then seal us, Lord, as we begin to walk with you. We love you, God. Thank you for choosing us to be a part of this body. In Jesus' name, amen.